After a week off for the international break, we are back here on the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and we will recap that international break for the Canadian men's national team on today's show. Silly season has also hit in full for Toronto FC, and we will have plenty of new rumors to mull over on that front. Finally, the Canadian U-17 squad are off to the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup. To discuss all those topics with me, our Canadian men's national team expert Gavin Day is back on the show. Always a pleasure, Gavin. Hello, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, let's let's start with the men's national team then, and uh, picking up, uh, I guess, a narrow one 0 win over St. Kitts. I, I guess I've heard a lot of people online say uh, one bounce, and and Canada has a tie on their hands, but it could have also gone the other way. Canada had some some opportunities to to make this more of a a uh, big results, but uh, I guess compared to a lot of the games we've we've seen recently with the Canadian men's national team in this in this Concacaf Nations League qualifying round, this was much more tricky for them. Obviously on the road, but also in terms of the opponent and, and their performance. What did you make of of the game itself and uh, how Canada played? Yeah, I mean it's it's always tough to to go abroad in Concacaf, whether it's the middle of the Caribbean uh, or the Central America, and. Uh, I was there last time when Canada played St. Kitts in World Cup qualifying under Stephen Hart, and we're kind of lucky to get away with a scoreless draw there. That was a number of years ago. So uh, the fact that they went down, they came away with a result in conditions that they are really not used to. Uh, you know, that surface isn't the greatest in Basse-Terre. Uh, it, it really is a bit of a leveler. You can't be as creative as you like. It's hard. It's, you know... When I was there, there were anthills in it. So it's, um, it, you know, they came away with a 1-0 result. They picked up the three points, and uh, you take that and you run as much as you can in the CONCACAF region. <laughs> so uh, I guess you're not reading too much into this result. I know uh, a lot of people on, on the socials, as you would kind of expect, anytime they see, I guess, a 1-0 result against any of these teams that um, you know are below the top 100 in, in the world and, and certainly don't have the population of Canada, uh, the, you know, they, they kind of overreact a little bit. Um, I've always kind of held the, held the opinion throughout this entire round that there's no sense reading into really any of these results either. Either way, just because, you know, the the level of competition, at least Canada should be um, somewhat above it. But at the same time, you know, some of these games are, are very tricky. Well, for sure. And I mean, when when you come away with a result, uh, you come home, uh, you know, what more can you ask for? Sure, it would have been nice to see them playing with style, uh, but they are on nine points. They're comfortably looking Gold Cup, A group, all of that. For, for Nations League. So the, the real test, as I've sort of said all along, will be when they come up against the U.S.'s, the Mexico's, the Honduras's of the world, and we will see that next year. And if they are in that A group, which they should be, uh, we could potentially see that happen at Gold Cup uh, in Nations League. Plenty of time to uh, assess and judge where the team is. But, you know, when, when you're still exploring you know the the new coach and getting to the new relationship uh, and playing these these lesser teams in the region uh, you know judge at your own peril obviously 
like I said, you would have liked to see more goals and this and that. But in this stage of the game, they're they're picking up wins, and, and that's what counts. Almost all of the talk going into these recent games has been about Canada's young players and this exciting next young generation and all the big clubs that these players are linked with. Uh, a lot of them are still on the B side, which uh, which they seem to uh, overlook sometimes. But um, nonetheless, some some exciting young players coming up. But I think this game in particular really showed the importance of the veterans, particularly Atiba Hutchinson. Uh, it seemed like any time Canada was was looking a little shaky or things were going off the rails a little bit, Atiba was there to put a foot in, and um, obviously he scored the the crucial goal for Canada on just a great header, his seventh for Canada, and um, ultimately what could be a pretty important goal. Obviously, as we talk about the the importance of this round, even if uh, again it, it doesn't look that important on the on the outside considering who's can- who Canada is playing um what did you make of Atiba and obviously it's you know it's it's great to have him back for as long as uh he's willing to give to the national team and I'm sure John Herdman's very happy about that I will continue to say for a very long time that Atiba Hutchinson is one of the least appreciated athletes from Canada in all sports mm. at the moment for the last few years uh he has played at a level which, you know, is now sort of being potentially surpassed by the likes of Alfonso Davies and Blue Tabla. But uh, he is the standard bearer and he um, he's, you know, he's what many people in places like Istanbul and, and others know of Canadian soccer as Atiba Hutchinson. And they love him over there. And, you know, he might lose a step or two as, as the months and weeks go by now. But, uh, you know, class is permanent and he is such a stabilizing force. He's not the most vocal guy in the world, but his actions speak absolute volumes. And it's just so fun to still enjoy watching him play. I remember being at that game in Vancouver when they were, you know, whooping El Salvador to <laughs> to wrap up World Cup qualifying. And there was that feeling in your stomach. And I think I tweeted it, enjoy watching Atiba Hutchinson in the Canada jersey while you can. Because I thought that was it. And so each time he suits up, it's it, it's just another sort of gift that that I think fans need to cherish because he has, uh, you know, he puts his body on the line and he comes all the way at this age. You know, he's in his 30s and he's coming from Turkey to fly to St. Kitts to play on a crummy surface in hot <laughs> conditions in a game that Canada should win anyway. Um, but there he is. And, um, you know, he's, he's from my time sort of, chatting with him he's he's just a a quality guy and uh, and that's the most you can probably ask for alongside Atiba in the midfield Russell Tybert uh, drew back in he's been kind of on the bubble or outside the national team in recent years as he's kind of been a more of a bench player at the, in Vancouver uh, but a solid season for him there where he kind of finally uh, got moved a little bit forward into to the offensive position I've always seen him as you know obviously that's where he broke out as a as a winger attacking midfielder more of a uh, an attacking player and then Carl Robinson kind of uh, shoehorned him into a role as a defensive midfielder where he's he's solid but I just don't think that makes the most of his ability but we certainly saw um, a very good performance from him with with some of the guys like Osorio and Scott Arfield missing from that midfield and a crucial one obviously he set up the goal and was was pretty important in Canada's transition for me he was the the man of the match for Canada in this game um, what have you made of kind of Tybert's reemergence and and his performance uh, against St. Kitts 
Yeah, what what always sort of stuck with with Tybert the last number of years is is where is his top position? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that I remember in that the first year of the Whitecaps, uh, yeah, you like you said he was an attacking kind of guy, and then it was sort of you know where is he, where is he at his best? And I think he struggled with that. Uh, Canada struck struggled with that. The Whitecaps struggled with that, and then. Um, this past year, we saw something, you know, maybe not the full light bulb click on, but, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of warming up kind of thing. And uh, he, he, was, he was crossing that ball with abandon uh, against St. Kitts. And, you know, there was no Marcel de Jong, you know, booking it up the line at left back to cross in. And I know Marcel's a great crosser of the ball, but they didn't miss a beat with, with Tybert putting in uh, some good teasing crosses, and certainly that led to uh, Atiba Hutchinson's goal. Uh, and so it's, I think I saw you mention on, on social media that um, if, if, if this sort of trend continues, it could be a breakout out season for Tybert, and he certainly deserves it. He's, he's put in his time in Vancouver. He's been a great ambassador for the club. Um, you know, he's always one of those guys where, you know, if he recognizes someone out of the locker room, that, that he's quick to say hello and um, you know, you, you hope for the best for him. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's certainly enticing with, you know, it's almost a shame now that, that sort of we go into hibernation for a bit for club and for country that uh, we can't see what the next steps are. But um, I'm sure we'll get an early indication come, you know, come, come preseason with the Whitecaps, what, what his future holds. And, uh, you know, him having, with, with that youth uh, movement coming in through Canada, having a guy like that who can, uh, who's been playing well is certainly, you know, a good sort of leadership chip for John Herdman to have. Yeah, and obviously, I think Mark DeSantos coming into Vancouver is going to help out as well in terms of a, a guy who DeSantos. prioritizes. DeSantos yeah, in yeah. Canada, you know, coaching mm-hmm. a Canadian team is a great thing. Sorry to cut you off there, but Des- I'm no, excited no, to see what, what DeSantos does uh, in charge in Vancouver. He's shown a commitment to, to Canadian players that's, that's, that's fantastic and what you want to see. Yeah, for sure, and I, I personally think there's a lot of talent coming through that Vancouver system as well. A lot of, I, I'd probably say right now it's the best uh, academy in Canada in terms of kind of this next generation of players, Baldissimo, uh, Bear, that kind of that kind of player. Uh, Simon Cullen obviously replaced Alfonso Davies, so yeah, very exciting on that front. Uh, I wanted to talk about Alfonso Davies though a little bit, and um, you, you mentioned Marcel De Jong. Obviously, he was missing from this this squad and. Uh, the left back position in general, they uh, they they kind of played a more traditional formation than they have been in the past couple of of qualifiers. As you know, they obviously had to respect that uh, a pretty decent counterattack from St. Kitts and um, make sure that didn't cause them problems. But uh, they they did still have Alfonso Davies as a left back, which is obviously a position he's played before in Vancouver, uh, kind of unpopularly among Vancouver fans, and now very unpopularly among Canadian men's national. Team fans. I know it allows him to kind of link up with Blue Tabla, and obviously they have a ton of attacking talent that they can get on the field at any time, but it really did seem, and not just this game, I, I thought as well uh, against uh, Dominique at home, um, it, it kind of, you know, handicaps him and and puts him in a position where, um, you know, he, he's playing more defensively and, and doesn't 
use that full attack because when we saw late in the match he was getting up that left flank I mean uh, there were few players on the St. Kitts team who could who could even put a foot in and stop him so uh, I wonder if going forward we we will see him pushed up further up the field because I know Canada does have a bit of a need there but they do have good players you mentioned De Jong, Sam Atakubi who's playing well in in Norway um, I'm interested to see certainly where they go from from here with Alfonso absolutely and with with Davies um, I always like it when he can, you know, get up ahead of steam and, and take guys on. And I, I think obviously when they have him at that defensive position, um, it's maybe with that in mind where he can get it, you know, good enough distance away from goal and, and, and dribble up the field himself. But um, yeah, it's, it's still amazing to know that, that he, he, he's, you know, equally as, as advantageous in a couple different positions, but yeah, I know you said it, it wasn't very popular to see him as a left back in in Vancouver, and then for Canada. So uh, it would be cool to see what 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 Bayern sees him as. And you know, he's obviously not going to get into the first team right away. But uh, now that he's over in Munich, it would be cool to see how they assess and see what his best position is, and just give him a different point of view than what he's experienced already in Vancouver and with Canada. Um, because, you know, next time he suits up for Canada, you never know how, how he might say he would be best deployed if it was up to him. So uh, it's exciting in many different ways to have a player like Davies uh, suiting up for Canada. Certainly, and I know there was a lot of videos on, on social media this week of, of Davies landing in Bayern. And uh, just to see him, I, I know we've we've had time to process this, but still to see him on the same pitch as guys like Ari and Robin and, and talking to them is, is so incredibly exciting for this program and something obviously we haven't seen before. So uh, pretty sweet on that front. Um, obviously, this you know this, this win for Canada, as, as you mentioned, puts them on nine points, means they're still in... A good position uh, for that A League in in Concacaf, that A division in terms of the Nations League. Uh, they're on 14 goals and they haven't conceded any uh, heading into that final match day against French Guyana, which uh, I think we can assume Florent Maluda won't be uh, involved this time. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, a pretty good spot, obviously, to to secure that that Gold Cup position as well. I think they it's all but wrapped up and. Um, how, how important in your mind is that a, a division? Because I know Herdman has talked at length about the opportunity it gives them to, you know, have automatically scheduled games against the top teams in CONCACAF, both home and away, um, which is, you know, so so important for this, this country. And obviously they have, uh, we'll talk about the U-20s in a little bit, they have made a couple sacrifices uh, to, to ensure they got this win down in St. Kitts. So, how important is this for for kind of the long term, um, and especially going into this World Cup qualifying cycle for Canada? Well, I've always sort of said that that Canada's struggles in in Central America um, are 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 essentially always what cost them qualification or advancement or whatever, um, and it. Um, Sorry, just lost my train of thought there for a second. Uh, you know, and and they almost re- and the, they almost seem hesitant to get those friendlies down there. There was one in Panama under Benito Floro that ended in a, a scoreless draw, um, mm-hmm. but now it almost forces them to go down and play these games. And next year, you could see them, um, you know, in San Jose in Costa Rica or um, you know <laughs> in the dreaded San Pedro Sula, uh, <laughs> and and that. You know, 
can't help but get them used to it. And they play, they'll play these games in a, let's face it, the Nations League won't be anywhere near as stressful as a World Cup qualifier. So I don't imagine those stadiums to be packed. It certainly won't be a national holiday in Honduras like mm-hmm. it has been the last couple <laughs> times I've been down there for World Cup qualifiers. Um, and so that almost sort of eases them in, where instead of just going in blind into the, into the fire, so to speak, they, they, they get the, the trial run. And uh, as a player, I'm mean, obviously I've, I can't speak for, as a player, but uh, you know, as, as a media guy who's been to these places, you know, having my eyes opened to these massively hostile atmospheres, I can only imagine what it's like for the players. And and to sort of get that you know muscle memory or that into the you know into the system of okay, this is what we know to expect. Obviously, a World Cup qualifier is going to be ratcheted up another couple notches, but to get that experience in you know some of the the hostile places where they've struggled historically in world cup qualifiers will you know in my opinion be be a benefit we've seen john herdman kind of call in a very similar side for for all these nations league matches which i think is is a positive in terms of kind of developing that chemistry and and getting this group ready for um some of the bigger games this summer but at the same time I've been a little surprised on that front in terms of the defensive choices and he's gone very young there we've seen I mean across the back line we've seen some very young fullbacks thrown in and Zachary Brogiard um, obviously Alfonso Davies has mostly been doing the duties at left back but I'm most curious about the center back position where he's mostly gone with a very um, maybe not the most inexperienced. Well, on the on the Derek Cornelius front, it is, but uh, he's gone with Cornelius and, and Daniil Henry as a center back pairing, which for me is still not a center back pairing that inspires a ton of confidence. I know that's that's overall a big concern with this team, but do you think we might see a couple more of of those veteran guys like a Steven Vittoria, who's having a pretty solid season over in Poland, or a Dan Yakovic come back in around Gold Cup time because? Um, you know, f- for me at least, uh, I, you know, I, th- I think both Daniil or Derek Cornelius could be very solid defenders and important defenders going forward for the program on their own. But um, not having them alongside kind of a, a veteran presence is is a little concerning for me. Well, for sure, uh, you know, you are sort of caught in two minds of of this kind of thing, where Herdman has never had trouble throwing in young players into the fire. Um, if they're mm-hmm. they're quick enough, smart enough, and can keep up, then then they belong. Uh, the issue with with some of the more veteran guys, you know, Vitoria and Yakovic, I think you saw in the the Gold Cup game where they were eliminated by Jamaica, where they were a step behind, they weren't sort of up to speed, and so they would still struggle against speedier teams. So if you have the guys who can keep pace, then then I think you go with them. So. Uh, you know, so much happens between now and a gold cup. There could be injuries, obviously, and uh, mm-hmm. you know there are many factors determining that. But um, it is an interesting thought where um, you know to to change things up and bring in a more veteran presence. But based on what I've seen from you know the man who's who's coaching Canada now is that when he has faith in players, he um, he will throw them in without any sort of regard and and see if they can sink or swim and so far as you mentioned it's not you know quite uh confidence inspiring just yet but you pointed out they they haven't conceded a goal and and chances have been few and far between that they've conceded so um we'll see on that uh there is always the concern with a guy like daniel henry that uh you know mistakes have happened and penalties get called but 
Um, it's I think it's uh, from from knowing what I what I know. Um, you don't be surprised if he goes young and says, "I have faith in you now." Now now show it. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, kind of speaking on those those next generation of Canadian players and, and the young Canadian players, uh, before we wrap up this men's national team segment, uh, the under-20s, of course, um, failed to qualify for, for the World Cup for uh, the... Well, they haven't qualified since 2007, obviously, when they automatically qualified as hosts. Um, so uh, another bit of a disappointing campaign for them another one uh, uh, kind of seemed to be ended by by a red card and a disappointing one of that um what have you made of kind of these these continued struggles for the under 20 because we kind of mentioned before they did make a couple sacrifices for the St. Kitts game in terms of uh some of the guys like Davies and and maybe even a blue tableau I'm not 100% sure other than I know Liam Miller they wanted at the under 20s but his club said no um in terms of which of those kind of uh, men's national team guys who have been playing playing at the senior level they didn't decide to drop down for this tournament but the, it certainly was a couple of them um so what if what do you make of of i guess it seems like a bit of a momentum killer considering um things things have been looking up for the canadian men's national team program in general and kind of a kind of a reminder that there's still a lot of work to be done especially kind of at that youth development level and um kind of still learning how to compete in CONCACAF because because yeah we've talked about they they seem to do all right in Europe at at this level yeah well I mean I (laughs) I said it when when they had the Toulon tournament where it's like Mm -hmm. it's great they've played against these teams but the ultimate test for the youth teams are in CONCACAF and I will hold my adulation until that happens and you know, that team, you mentioned the red card, but all throughout, they looked like they had almost just met for the first time, some of them. And it's not an exaggeration to say that, because what 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 kind of baffles me is there were no camps in the run-up to this. None. Mm-hmm. No ID camps, no competition for places from guys across the various academy systems. They, they, they sort of picked this team, and it came in, and they did what they did. And what the main thing with... with, with camps in my mind is uh you establish depth you get a number of guys into the program and there's a competition for a spot you're that much hungrier and especially i mean in a couple of these last couple games the panama game and and the saint Kitts game there were passes that would go awry or a couple yards in front of a guy and he'd stop and he'd turn around and he'd look like where was that going and they just did Mm -hmm. not look on the same page and you know that was that was sort of item number one for me is, is is they needed to build some kind of chemistry and it didn't have it. And number two, uh, I read in in a few pieces that you know a couple players weren't called in, others had graduated to the senior team, and mm-hmm. that irks me <laughs> um, because given the historic dry spell of Canadian programs qualifying for these various events, I don't think you anyone can say they've graduated to the senior team, especially given how few games the senior team is playing. If I have an 18-year-old kid um, and the option is call him into an under-20 camp where they'll play five or six games against CONCACAF opposition and get used to that kind of environment or call him into one game and play St. Kitts, I'm thinking they're learning more from a five or six game experience. You know, I could be wrong, but that's just how I would feel. And so... The 
I think for, for Canada to, you know, develop these teams that can qualify for tournaments, you have to bring in some of your better players. If you can get them, you get them. Obviously, I don't know what, what goes into uh, calling these players and how tough it is, but if there's the chance that you can get one of your better players in, you bring that person mm-hmm. in. Because what happens, obviously, you qualify for an under-20 World Cup, if that's what happens, and then you actually experience an under-20 World Cup, and that sort of trickles on down and benefits them for years to come, where they've gotten a handful of you know youth international games, a youth World Cup, and I think they experience more than that than a you know Nations League game in Florida against the U.S. Virgin Islands or wherever, essentially. And so, um, you know, it's another missed opportunity. Uh, we'll see, you know, how they take the next two years. I know, obviously, it was there was some turnover in the youth ranks, and um, we'll see what kind of, you know, lessons they draw from this and sort of this is how we tackle the next cycle and start with IDing and, and, and building some chemistry and some competition for places. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, as prestigious as the Toulon tournament is, it's not as prestigious as the World Cup. So. Exactly. I mean, um, they, they crowed when they, you know, played well in the Toulon tournament, but then failed to qualify for a World Cup. And so it's it's a failure of a cycle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And these are, you know, especially the U-17s, these are important cycles considering these are some of the guys that will make up the 2026 roster, you would think, considering they're in that age group. So, you know, the most uh, as much international experience as you can get for these guys is is incredibly important. So, uh, you know, definitely something to watch heading into that U-17s later on in in 2019. Um, kind of from from the men's national team to the, the old men's national team manager now jumping into uh, our Toronto FC segment. Uh, apparently Octavio Zambrano is back in the, the Canadian men's national team, or at least the Canadian news, uh, chatting to John Molinaro about the fact that he's very much interested in bringing in um, Jonathan Osorio, uh, the Toronto FC midfielder, on loan to his new club in uh in Colombia, Deportivo Independiente uh, Medellin, which is uh, a club who are playing in the Copa Libert- Libertadores, uh, which is obviously the big, um, kind of like the Champions League over there, and uh, you know one of the biggest club competitions in in world soccer. And they want to kind of add some squad depth for that. And Osorio is one of the players who who he's looking to bring in on loan. Um, you know, well, I think this would be a great experience for Osorio, and obviously, I'm all for as as many Canadian players playing down in 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 South and Central America as possible, because I think that's you know instant help, and we've seen what a guy like Cavallini can do um, for the men's team now that he's back in the fold. I think that's instant help for Canada and instant experience. But uh, I can't see Toronto FC doing this, especially after they. They gave a big contract to Jonathan Osorio. I've heard it's it's close to a million dollars, and obviously it's it's we know for sure it's in in the TAM range. So this would surprise me, but um, an interesting one nonetheless. I, it, to me, it just sounds like a guy trying to rattle a cage. That's Zimbrano down <laughs> in, in uh, Colombia. I no, I don't see it happening. There was the big press conference. Osorio loves playing at home. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost just one of those, okay, very nice. Anyone can inquire about a player and, and, and I, you know, I can't really say much on that. I just don't, it, Hey, you never know. It could be proven wrong, but, uh, no, (laughs) no, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. I, I generally tend to, to hold the same opinion for sure. Um, 
on the on the Toronto FC note as well, though, uh, uh, Joshua Cloak of the Athletic is reporting that uh, Toronto FC are have midfielder Janino, who has plenty of MLS experience um, in in Toronto for a physical. Obviously, he won three MLS Cups with the LA Galaxy, so uh, plenty of experience there. And uh, an interesting one for me because obviously this is the first, or at least the closest, rumor we've had to um, being fully reported on a player coming in for Toronto FC and it's a it's a player with MLS experience and we saw Toronto FC get away from that a little bit last window when they shipped out guys like Stephen Betashore and in favor uh, of guys like Greg Vanderveel and and uh, Agara Kache and players like that and there are reasons for that I mean MLS MLS's current salary structure is kind of set up in a way where you can almost get guys like Greg Vanderveel cheaper than guys like Stephen Betashore just because of the TAM money and the way that works but um, I think Toronto FC kind of, kind of got an idea that you know once again that bringing in guys from abroad isn't always the best policy in MLS just because it, it you know it's such a unique league still and um, you know it's it's I think I've heard Tim Bezbachenko say it's almost it's almost one in three in terms of the the players that they find are fully successful coming from abroad so um, this seems like a, a decent move to bring in a player that is more domestically based. Yeah, it's still a crapshoot, as you mentioned, for, mm-hmm. for players to come in and uh, from abroad and, and figure it out. And uh, yeah, if you can get a guy with veteran experience, uh, one of literally hundreds of players to bear the name Juninho, it should be outlawed. <laughs> they, should have a, they should have a second name to go along with it, because I will forever think of the Juninho that played for Middlesbrough, but that's just me. Um, I'm always sort of like, which Juninho is this now? <laughs> no offense to the name, but um, it's it's far too common. Anyway, that's my own little rant for the day. Um, but yeah, he's a guy with MLS experience. Uh, he's still, I believe, under 30 or very, you know, he's on that borderline. So um, he's not an over-the-hill kind of player and he can contribute and he's proven to contribute in Major League Soccer. And that's, that's the big thing is uh, someone who can come in and, and knows the league, and you know full stop that they will be a good MLS player. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if it, you know if they have no one coming out of the academy that they're ready to shoehorn in um, and, and there's an opening, then absolutely you go for the experience, and they have done that. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, academy prospects given a crack at stuff too, but uh, we'll see what happens over the coming weeks to... Um, to you know, determine how the team looks come come preseason, and there are, as you mentioned, you know, plenty of uh, you know options in in silly season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, for me, it's Leon Juninho, who's my uh, Juninho of choice. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, though, there are way too many of them, um, and it gets very confusing. Uh, but the, the the final bit of Toronto FC news I just wanted to touch on quickly is the fact that. Um, reportedly they're going to announce sometime next week which of the I think it's something like 11 players that they have under option they're they're going to be picking up and which players they're going to let walk and um, I've heard for a while and and certainly that's been kind of reinforced this week that uh, Toe St. Ricketts is is going to be one of those players who who isn't going to come back Uh, I know Clint Irwin's been a name that's been 
put in there as well. But uh, Tosain specifically, I, I you know I, I think it probably is the time. He didn't get a lot of minutes last season. They have guys like Io Akinola uh, pushing for minutes uh, on on the striker range, and especially if a guy like Lucas Hansen comes back next season, which I think is, is looking more and more likely, then there's not going to be a whole lot of minutes for for Ricketts, but. You know, this is a pretty. This is still a good, heartwarming story for me that he was able to come back and, um, after a very tough career abroad in Europe, in terms of you know not being paid and all those sorts of things, he was able to come back and have that um, pretty heroic season with Toronto FC and during that MLS Cup run, and even the year before, he had two very good seasons, and obviously one of Canada's leading all-time goal scorers and a player that, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is a pretty awesome chapter in his career, even if it's, it is coming to an end now. I know he was, he was so happy to, to come back and play in Canada and, and focus on playing the game because he has, as you mentioned, those stints in Turkey and Romania where there's so much shady business going on, wouldn't get paid, uh, you know, teams going bankrupt. And uh, to be able to come back to Canada and, and, and play week in, week out, know where the paychecks are coming from, be at home, uh, you know, you're a couple f- hours away from Edmonton to see family. He, you know, you'd see the joy on his face when he was playing. And um, yeah, and then this year he, he slipped out of the 18 every so often. And, mm-hmm. and I know he was, he had, you know, medical stuff as well. And, uh, but you do feel that, that, you know there may be calling time on his on his time in Toronto and mm-hmm. and and how fitting i mean i obviously i don't want to you know start a little fire and stoke the flames or anything but the timing does line up just perfectly for fc edmonton to come online in the canadian premier league i'll just leave that there mm-hmm. um but you know he, he he's always sort of one of those guys who's fun to watch that pace that he has, and uh, obviously some of the finishing wasn't always there, but he would still bang in the goals. And yeah, that season, those two seasons, those two MLS Cup seasons where uh, Ricketts made himself a very useful player, uh, you know, those are the sort of memories that stick with you. And, and, and I would not be surprised if this was the end of his time in Toronto, but, um, you know, he's, he's had a very, very good run here. Well, let's move on to to talking about the the Canadian women's under seventeen team before we uh, wrap up on the show, and um, they they will face Germany on Sunday. That's um, that's their quarterfinal matchup that, that just got announced, and uh, they they haven't gotten past that quarterfinal round uh, ever at at this level, the U seventeen level. Um, so so a big test ahead of them, and uh, this, this is a Germany team that's a little tough to cherry pick because um, they they just slap the states in their final group stage game but they also lost 1-0 to Cameroon earlier in the group stage so um, uh, under 17 results are always tricky but uh, I think you know this is going to be a tough task ahead for for Canada certainly now that we know um, that they've got Germany as their as their matchup yeah I mean you never know with these youth these very young youth national levels the U17s of the world that uh, you know consistency isn't always perfect and uh, yeah, you mentioned Germany. Who knows what Germany's going to get? Um, it will be an interesting game, but I think that last group stage game against Spain showed that mm-hmm. Canada's going to live and die by Heidema. And, uh, you know, if she can't step up, uh, you know, the team, you know, I, I'm not sure if there's the depth that, that can sort of make the leap. But 
Uh, yeah, there's so many unpredictabilities with the U17 game that, uh, you know, they're not obviously senior internationals. They're not experienced. Um, we'll see We'll see who steps up. But it is kind of, uh, you know, fun to see these these youth tournaments where uh, they're a bit more unpredictable than, than the senior thing. Oh, for sure. And um, it has been overall a pretty... Or at least a a mostly positive performance from Canada, obviously picking up two wins for just the second time ever. So technically, this has already been uh, one of their more successful under-17 World Cups. And it it comes at a time when, um, you know, when when the youth development level at Canada has been been a little dicey. I know the the under-20s didn't qualify at the women's level and at the men's level as well. So uh, there's been a lot of hand-wringing over that for sure. um, but you know the, they they do obviously uh, have that tough final loss of the group stage. They kind of sat players and and now they're playing Germany. Um, do do you think that was the right decision? And I, I mean, obviously it's a very good Spain team. They they've done they're they're one of those I think emerging nations in terms of very soon they're going to be one of the top and uh, you know in the world considering they're already getting up there but especially considering what they've been able to do at this youth level I know they've been um, one of the top teams for the past couple tournaments but you know obviously uh, not the kind of loss you you want to take before you go into a crucial game and um, didn't help themselves in terms of their their quarterfinal opponents either yeah I think they'll put it behind them pretty quickly and 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 these tournaments you know Canada's for for as long as I can remember, talking about you know creating depth and at a U seventeen tournament, um, if you rely on thirteen, fourteen, fifteen players, then uh, your your program will suffer in the long run. And so it was it was a tough learning experience for these players, but um, you know it gave them an invaluable experience while resting you know some of their their starters. And so I don't think it'll cost them in the end. Uh, you know this Canadian team. I, I still feel that that getting past the quarterfinals, regardless who they were playing, were would be a you know would be an accomplishment in and of itself. So it doesn't really matter the opponent to me. Um, but I mean, I remember back in in Costa Rica back in in 2014 when Canada lost to I think it was Venezuela in in the quarterfinals. And you know, when was the last time Venezuela made great shakes in the women's game? And so. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, you know, winning a U17 World Cup isn't huge. Obviously, it would be it would be massive, but um it's an important step and the development from here is what's crucial to the U20s and beyond and that's where the worry is creeping in. Uh you know, for example, I don't think Heidema is on this U17 team if the U20 team qualifies for the World Cup because, you know, there's the whole, they've graduated to the senior team again, but they mm-hmm. needed to save a little face, I think. And so they sort of go, okay, we need to, we need to get some of our, uh, you know, quote unquote, graduated players in. And, and so, um, you know, it's an experience for, for the, you know, the not stars yet, uh, the ones who aren't stars just yet, but, um, you know, they'll be back to their strongest lineup. And, and as I mentioned, the quarterfinals is really where I saw this team going. And, um, you know, now it's, now it's the test to, to a surpass expectations and B, you know, provide a step to the continued development of the women's program, because, you, you know, I, we, as I sort of said, it's, it, there are some worrying times in that women's program right now. 
Well, worrying times is where we'll end. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on the show, Gavin. Hey, always good to to, to be on. Thanks for having me. No worries, and uh, to the rest of you, thanks for listening. Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll have an all new La Liga show previewing that Barcelona Atletico Madrid match this weekend, which is going to be fantastic and and so so important in in the already um, very exciting uh, La Liga table. Um, we'll also look ahead at the weekend of the Spanish league. But uh, until then, enjoy your weekend, everyone. <laughs>